0: What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Today, we're going to be talking about Calvinism. Now, Calvinism is this totally heretical, quote-unquote, Christian doctrine that is taught by pretty much every Protestant church, whether you go to a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, or whatever. They all teach this sick teaching. Even Catholics teach this sick teaching of Calvinism. Now, if I was to basically summarize Calvinism, Calvinism teaches that you need to be saved in order to believe in Jesus, which is a total inversion of the gospel of Christianity. See, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus taught is that whoever would believe in him and believe in what he did on the cross will have eternal life. No matter how evil they are, no matter how messed up they've been throughout their life, no matter what sins they've committed, they can have all their sins forgiven if they just believe in Him and believe that what He did on the cross when He gave His life for us, that that was enough to make us right with God. And so if we believe this thing, if we put our trust in Jesus and trust Him to save us, then we'll have eternal life. But Calvinism completely flips this on its head and what it says is that unless God first regenerates you as they call it, they refer to it as regeneration, but really what they mean is if you're saved, if you're not saved first, then it's impossible for you to believe. They teach that people do not naturally have the free will to believe in Jesus because we're totally depraved. And so even if we were presented with all the evidence for Christianity, like the resurrection of Christ, we're presented with all this stuff, that somehow we are just incapable of believing because we just have spiritual blinders over our eyes that prevent us from believing. They teach that the only people that can get saved are the people that God predestines and chooses before they're even born and that he chooses other people to just go to hell. And I think that this whole thing is just totally sick. I mean, it's also retarded, right? It's totally illogical. It makes no sense. The Bible says, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right, and right there it says that we believe first and then we're saved. We believe first and then we're regenerated. But it's also just sick and satanic and evil because essentially what it says is that through no fault of our own, people just end up going to hell because God just decided that he would not allow us to believe, that he would not allow us to be forgiven, that he would not allow us to do good works, that he basically just forced us to be a bad person and condemned us to hell for it. Now, Calvinism cannot be found in the Bible. There's no biblical basis for the teaching that God decides before we're born, whether or not we go to heaven or hell. But of course, since Christianity is based upon the Bible, if you're going to have a belief and call it a Christian belief, you have to find some kind of proof text for your beliefs. And so, like many other false denominations of Christianity, what they do is they go into the Bible and they cherry-pick passages out of context that when taken out of context sound like they're teaching their sick, perverse teachings. And pretty much the only place in the Bible that when taken out of context sounds like it teaches Calvinism is in Romans chapter 9, which is what we're going to be reading today. And the passage they take out of context at verse 19. It says, You will say unto me, Why does God yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who are you that replies against God? Shall a thing formed say to that which formed it, Why have you made me thus? Has not the potter have power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and one unto dishonor. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, fitted for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared on the glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So to take this out of context and out of context, what it sounds like it's saying is that God has made some people to go to hell and has made them incapable of doing the things required to go to heaven. And not only some elect chosen people have been chosen to even be capable of doing the right things to go to heaven. And that's what it sounds like out of context. But like I've talked about many times in this Bible study series, we have to take the whole Bible in context. And the book of Romans is a self-contained book. And we have to look at the whole book in context. And we have to look at the chapter in context. Now, if this is what it was teaching, number one, it would contradict many other things that are stated in the book of Romans most specifically chapter 2 which says that God rewards people based on their actions right now Calvinism and, and what they claim this verse is teaching is that God doesn't care about our actions and that God is just predestining people before they're born to believe Right, but if that was true, and that was what this verse is teaching, it's in direct contradiction with Romans chapter 2 that says, God rewards people based on their actions, and that people who actively seek to follow God and do the right thing, He will award them with everlasting life. But the people who decide to do evil, they're going to be rewarded with eternal damnation. Right, but if we have no free will, then why does Paul labor in Romans chapter 2 to make this point that our decisions lead to our eternal justification or our eternal damnation? It would make no sense because we can't decide anything. Why would Paul berate us and say, oh vain man, how do you think you can get away with these things in Romans chapter 2? He literally says, how do you think you can get away with this? He's calling us to repent. But if we have no free will and we can't choose, then what's the point of even talking about any of this? It's, it's retarded, it makes no sense, right? So we have to look at the context. And when we look at the context of Romans chapter 9, it's not really talking about how people get saved in general. It's not talking about how we can get to heaven in general. It's talking about a very specific issue. And that specific issue is who are God's chosen people. So let's start at the beginning. I say the truth in Christ and I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness with the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, who are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came who is overall God, blessed forever. Amen. So he begins off this chapter talking about the Israelites. And also, I just want to point out in verse 5, he literally says that Jesus is God. So, you know, a lot of uh, atheists, they claim that the Bible doesn't really clearly teach the Trinity. Muslims teach the Bible doesn't clearly teach the Trinity. Christ is God. So if you're denying that Jesus is God, you're just an idiot. But he begins here talking about the Israelites. So the topic of conversation is not salvation necessarily although he does get a little bit into salvation the main topic is jewish people and so we have to ask why is paul talking about jewish people right well as he says the israelites were given the adoption they were given the covenant, the Old Testament. They were given the law. That's the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses. Of course, Moses, Abraham, Isaiah, David, they're all Israelites. And even Jesus himself was a Jew. right? The Jews are called God's chosen people. Right, and that's very clear throughout the whole bible jesus himself says in the book of matthew that he didn't come for the gentiles he came for the lost sheep of israel but christianity also teaches is that people who are practicing the jewish religion cannot go to heaven that essentially jews don't go to heaven but If the Jews are God's chosen people, then how can we say that people practicing Judaism can't be saved when the Jews are literally God's chosen people? Jesus was a Jew. And so what Paul says here is he says that he has a continual sorrow in his heart over the state of the Jewish people because Jewish people are not saved or the majority of them aren't. And as we're going to read, as we continue into this chapter, the reason they're not saved is because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Right As we know from the rest of what we read earlier in this series, the one requirement for salvation, the one requirement to get forgiven for your sins, the one requirement to go to heaven is to simply believe in Jesus and trust him to get you to heaven. But most of the Jewish people of Paul's time and most Jewish people today have totally rejected the gospel of salvation and instead what they believe is that you have to obey these commandments, these strict religious regiments, and they even go beyond what the Bible says. They have their own extra biblical book called the Talmud, which they follow in addition to the Torah. And they think that their good works and their good deeds and their you know religious rituals that they keep are somehow going to make God love them and get them into heaven. And so because they reject the gospel, they're not saved. And so Paul, who is a Jew, he is a Jew that convert to Christianity, who cares about his people, cares about his ethnicity, and takes great pride in the fact that he's Jewish, that he's of the same lineage of the fathers, of Abraham, of David, etc. He has a great and continual sorrow in his heart that the Jews are not saved. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Israel. So what Paul says here is that not everyone who claims to be Jewish or who is ethnically Jewish, ethnically related to the man named Israel, which is what the nation of Israel and Israelites, Jews, are named after, they're not all partakers of the promise. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac, your seed will be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So he says here that the children of the flesh are not the ones that are chosen, but the children of the promise. Now listen, when he says the children of the flesh are not chosen, he's not talking about Christians that are living in the flesh or something like that. He's talking about something else, right? We have to separate the word flesh from the concept of like sinful nature because that's not what the word flesh means, right? The flesh just means body, just means your physical body and that's it. The children in the flesh that he's referring to is your literal children. So the point that he's making here is like if a Christian has a child, right? That child is not automatically saved or going to heaven just by virtue. They were born into a Christian family and their parents are Christian, right? Salvation is not genetic. It is based on whether or not we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason this pertains to the Israelites is because of the promise. Now what is the promise? If you watch the first episode of this Bible study on the book of Romans, we talked about how in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They lost their connection with God and all humans were destined to die. But God made a promise to Eve that one day in the future, a woman like her would give birth. But this woman would give birth without the need of a man, a virgin birth. And this child born of a virgin would crush the serpent's head that made them sin and would restore humanity with God. And this child is what is referred to by the Bible and referred to by Jews as the Messiah or the Christ. So this promise was given to Adam and Eve that someone would come in the future, born of a virgin that is descended from them, and that this child born of a virgin would make humanity right with God. And after Adam and Eve died, this promise was passed down to the next generation but it was not passed down to all of Adam's children. It was only passed down to one of them, Seth. So then from Seth, it was passed down to Enosh, and then from Enos, it was passed down to Canaan, and then from Canaan to Melaleel, then to Jerah, then to Enoch, then to Lamech, and then eventually to Noah. And you know, I won't read the big list of names, but eventually it gets passed down to Abraham. And each generation, it gets passed down to one particular person. And Abraham eventually became the inheritor of the promise, as we read in the book of Genesis. And it says in Genesis that Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, as the promise was passed on generation to generation to generation coming to Abraham, the promise was expanded and expanded and expanded. And when it got to Abraham, the promise had expanded to not just the Messiah, but that Abraham... Who was married to a barren woman a woman that could not have a baby that this barren woman who could not have a baby would give birth and that this child would be the one that the messiah would come from from the line of isaac his son but abraham struggled to believe god he struggled to believe that him in his old age and his wife that has been barren her whole life and also is too old at this point that even if she wasn't barren she still wouldn't be able to have kids he struggled to believe that god was capable of performing this miracle and so he went and he slept with one of his maids named hagar And Hagar birthed a son named Ishmael. And after Abraham had this whole love affair, God came to Abraham and berated Abraham for trying to make the promise happen on his own. And he said to Abraham that he was going to keep the promise, that God was going to keep the promise, and that it wasn't on Abraham to do it, that it was something that God was going to do. And so once Abraham finally put his trust in God, Sarah and him got together, they, you know, did did stuff in their bedroom and they had a child who was named Isaac. And so the promise was not passed down to Ishmael it was passed down to Isaac. And Isaac had two children, Esau and Jacob. And as it says in the book of Genesis, the promise was not passed to Esau, it was passed to Jacob. And Jacob is the man who would eventually be named Israel. And who all Israeli people, all Jewish people are descended from. This one man, Israel, Jacob. So the point that Paul's making is that the promise of the Messiah, the promise that humanity would be redeemed by this child born of a virgin, it's not passed down to all Jewish people. It's not passed down to everyone. It only passes to the people who God chooses it to be passed to. Right, God chose for it to be passed to Abraham, then God chose for it to be passed to Isaac, then to Jacob, eventually it would make it to Judah, then to David, and eventually to Mary, and eventually to Jesus. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, the elder will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So the point being made here is that God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't. And God has chosen not to save the Jews, even though the Jews are by blood, quote unquote, God's chosen people, because God has chosen different people to be saved, different people to partake in the promise. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? So one might question, you know, it was promised to Abraham that his seed would be as great as there are stars in the sky and, you know, they would inherit the earth and by his seed that good would be done to the whole earth and so was god lying when he gave that promise to abraham was he being untruthful because you know it was interpreted by people at the time that it was something given to all jewish people not to people who believe in the messiah so is there unrighteousness with god god forbid for he says to moses I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be declared throughout the earth. Therefore, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy on, and harden whom he will harden. So Paul keeps bringing up these examples from throughout the whole Old Testament of people who were chosen by God to have something bad happen to them, to be damned, and people who are chosen to inherit the promise. So then, of course, though, some people might ask if God is choosing certain people to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell, why does God find fault with people if it's not their free will choice that allows them to go to heaven? You will say unto me, why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but oh man, who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to that which formed it, "Why have you made me thus?" Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? So what he's saying is that God's like a potter. So potters, right, they make pots out of clay and they form the clay into a pot. And a potter might make one pot that is a toilet right a primitive toilet and he might make another pot that's used for eating one for honor one for dishonor but if these two pots were conscious the toilet pot and the eating pot you know the toilet pot might say to the potter why have you made me to be a toilet You know, I don't want to be a toilet. I want to be a, uh, you know, a food dish, right? But of course, you know, no matter how much the pot pleads with its creator, The fact is that the pot has no ability to change what it's used for. And so, at the same token, if God decides someone's going to hell, for whatever reasons, arbitrary or not, just or not, there's nothing we can do to fight against it. Now, this isn't to say that God is unjust and God just arbitrarily chooses someone before they're born to send them to hell. But the point that he's making is that God is capable of doing that if he wanted to, he could just create someone to go to hell, as it says in the book of Job. You know, Job talks about how he could wash his hands till they're white as snow, and then God could simply just pick him up, plunge him into the mud, and make him dirty again, and then condemn him for his filthiness. Right? But of course, we know God's not unjust. We know that God isn't going to just do something like that. He's not going to uh, condemn us for something that we haven't done. And we just talked about how in Romans chapter two it says God condemned us for our actions but he's just making the point that just because some people don't get saved and some people do get saved and there's this arbitrary standard of well you just have to believe in Jesus that God's not unjust for making that the standard that he's not unjust for sending people who don't believe in the gospel to hell. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he has before prepared unto glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. And it will come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work And cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon earth. And Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath has left us a seed, we would have been Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Right, so the point that Paul's making is not about the fact that God just arbitrarily sends people to hell and just predestines them to go to hell just because he's a sick, sadistic freak. The point that he's making is, God is justified in sending Jewish people to hell even though they're God's chosen people if they don't believe in him and he's justified in sending Gentiles to heaven even though they're not God's chosen people if he decides to do so right and the reason why this is so important this might seem like a very strange thing to bring up is because Jewish people have this kind of concept in their mind that simply because they are a part of a particular ethnic group that they deserve to go to heaven. Now this isn't all Jewish people, right? But during Paul's time there were a lot of Jewish people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees which believed that just simply being a part of this ethnic group made them better than everyone else and made them deserve to go to heaven. And what Paul's saying is, no, you don't just deserve to go to heaven because you're a part of an ethnic group, even the quote-unquote God's chosen people. Now, some Calvinists, they might, accuse me of twisting God's word and adding to the words and making it say something that doesn't because to them you know it just really seems to be saying that you know God arbitrarily chooses people to go to heaven for some unknowable reason and arbitrarily chooses some people to go to hell based on no fault of their own. But if we keep reading the next couple of verses we're going to see that I'm in the right And that God does not arbitrarily choose people to go to heaven just for no reason and he doesn't just send people to hell for no reason. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So right here he's stating what the topic what the main question of chapter 9 is. Why is it that Jews which are God's chosen people which keep the ta- Torah and are even more strict keeping Talmud keeping you know other religious rituals why is it that they go to hell even though they're God's chosen people I mean, come on, they're God's chosen people. Just because they rejected the Messiah, does that really mean they deserve to go to hell? And why is it that these Gentiles, which historically throughout all of human history have been, you know, sacrificing babies to Baal and fornicating, doing homosexual acts on each other, killing each other, just total barbaric acts. Why are the Gentiles, the non-Jews, getting saved? Wherefore? "...because the Jews sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense." and whoever believes on him will not be ashamed the reason that jewish people who are practicing the jewish religion right obviously jewish people ethnic jews can be saved but the reason why people practicing the jewish religion are not saved is because they're seeking to go to heaven because they're a good person See, Jewish people, like many Christians, like most religions, believe that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And even Christianity, true biblical Christianity, teaches that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And so when Christians come with the faith alone, grace gospel that all you have to do to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus and that's it. You don't need good works. You don't need to be a good person. There's this alternative path to go to heaven other than being a good person that you can just simply believe in Jesus. They get offended by it. They stumble. It trips them up because this just seems unfathomable. They've been taught their whole lives that they need to be a good person or else God won't love them. And so then to hear that God is willing to forgive even the most wicked sinner, even pedophiles, even rapists, even murderers, even thieves, just for simply believing, that sounds insane to them. And so they stumble at that stumbling stone. They get offended by the Gospel. They say that this Gospel is just giving people an excuse to sin, a free license to sin. And so they reject the Gospel and say, no, it just can't be. Jesus obviously was a false messiah. He was a, he was a false prophet, lying about being a messiah. Despite all of his miracles, despite the fact that he rose from the dead, the Jews rejected Christ because his message was offensive It was offensive, this concept that just the littlest sin was enough to send you to hell. He condemned them as sinners and said, you all deserve to go to hell. And the only way you can get to heaven is if you seek God's forgiveness. And so they stumbled at that stumbling stone of faith alone, free grace Forgiveness for everyone that believes on Jesus. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. And because of that, they were rejected by God. I want to read a little bit of chapter 10 2 in this episode because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. We start at verse 1 there. Brethren, my heart's desire and prior to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So he says there that Jewish people are going about to establish their own righteousness by keeping the laws of Moses and keeping the ordinances that are written in the Talmud written by the Pharisees not realizing that the little sins that they commit and honestly let's be honest most people aren't just committing little sins they're committing pretty big sins that these little sins that we commit can't just be washed away by doing other good works and other good acts but because they don't realize it because they're ignorant they don't have the knowledge of the new testament they believe that they can establish their own righteousness through their own good deeds and their own good works and ultimately they're going to go to hell because they're going to be condemned by their own moral standard because all people fall short of keeping their own moral standard And so the point being made here, ultimately what we can take away from this as Christians is that our own works, our own good deeds are filthy rags in the eyes of God. They are not good enough to wash away our sins and to make God just forget all the evil things that we've done. The only way to be forgiven by God is for someone to take our punishment, take our place in hell, so that we don't have to go there ourselves. And ultimately, this is what Jesus Christ did. So to get back to calvinism and the issue of the calvinists and what they interpret this passage in romans 9 to mean they interpret it to mean that god just arbitrarily chooses people for no reason it's not based on faith it's not based on good works just arbitrarily chooses people to go to heaven for no fault of their own or to go to hell for no fault of their own but this is not true and the chapter itself and all the preceding chapters before it make it abundantly clear that we get elected we become the elect we get chosen by god based on whether or not we put our faith in jesus it's not just this god's not this evil monster that's just arbitrarily choosing before we're born oh i don't like you so you're gonna go to hell and it literally says at the end of chapter 9 the election is based upon whether or not you put your faith in jesus and that the people who don't put their faith in Christ are not elected and so they're going to get judged based on their works rather than getting judged based on jesus's works and the point that paul's making is not that god's totally just to just randomly send people to hell that's not the point that he's making because if god was just randomly sending people to hell god is unjust god is evil and god deserves does not deserve our worship right but no what paul's saying is that god is just in deciding that people who put their faith in Christ get to go to heaven and people who sin and don't put their faith in Christ get to go to hell. And he's totally just in doing that. He's allowed to forgive people whoever he wants to forgive. So if he decides the standard for receiving remission of sins, forgiveness of sins, is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, he's totally just to do that. And that's the point being made here. So don't fall for all this Calvinism garbage. They try to act like it's so clearly biblically supported, but there is not a single passage in the entire Bible that teaches this nonsense. We have to read the Bible in context, line by line, word by word, precept upon precept, idea upon idea, in order to understand what the word is trying to say. So that's all, thanks for watching. See you next time.